KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. From KCRW, I'm Kim Masters, and this is The Business. You're listening to a special preview of our conversation with writer Tony McNamara, who adapted a 1992 Alistair Gray novel into the Academy Award-nominated Yorgos Lanthimos film, Poor Things. It seems that you, years ago, started talking about adapting this book, and maybe even uh, before you were making The Favourite, of course, with Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah, we were. I'd been done a few drafts of The Favourite, and um, he had told me about the book, and I think... No, at the time he had, he just made his Greek films. He hadn't made Lobster or, so he was a bit like, I've got this Scottish book I'm kind of obsessed with, but no one will give me any money for it because it's pretty weird. And then he went, then they made the Lobster and it was like, oh, maybe he could get some money to develop it. And uh, so that was like 2017, I think the year before we shot The Favourite or around that time he gave me the book and we started from there. The book with the very long, it's a 1992 Alistair Gray novel titled Poor Things, Episodes from the Early Life of Archibald McCandless, MD, Scottish Public Health Officer. You shortened that. You got at the point in the project, it was shortened. And I guess uh, I read that Yorgos went to see the author in Scotland at the time. He was something in his 80s and he just yeah. kind of gave him said, sure, you go ahead, <laughs> make this. Yeah, I think they just hit it off. He was texting me pictures and going and he was, you know, Alice was a great artist. And uh, I think they just were sort of clicked. And uh, he went for the weekend and he came back and texted me and goes, he'll he'll let us do it. And uh, we went from yes. there. He went to Glasgow, and then after that, you made it not in Glasgow. And I know you've talked about why, but tell our listeners what guided that decision. Yeah, it was a mix of things. It was, um, I think we were, because the movie was going to be, there's a lot to take in in the first act. Um, <laughs> That's one, yes, indeed. <laughs> that's one way of putting it. <laughs> so I think I was very like, I don't, you know, I think we talked about it, and there's a lot in the book about Scottish nationalism. A lot of the book is about that. That you might notice is also not in the movie. I noticed that. I, yeah. think, I think we felt like we were creating this fantasy world. Um, and we had a lot of information about characters and about the setup of who Baxter was and what Bella was and how all that would operate. And the idea they the audience then had to get across that it was Glasgow and what that meant, whereas I think we felt like if we set it in London and it's not, a, you know, it's an idea of London, that that was just something that didn't matter and the audience didn't have to think about the fact that it was in that. And also I think in terms of the novel, it is a lot about Scottish nationalism and our movie was not going to be that. And right. so it felt sort of like like we were going to sort of pay homage in this slightly kind of in, insincere way. <laughs> we're going to send Glasgow and do nothing about the fact that the book is about Scottish nationalism. And, and the movie we were making was about Bala, which is a piece of the novel. And so I think we felt like uh, in a filmmaker terms, in terms of an audience grappling with it, we it was sort of like a sort of expedient decision or creative decision on some level. Yes, that would be, a, I mean, there is already a lot, as you say, and then yeah. it would be that much more like, I, why are we in Scotland? <laughs> would be. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's not a specific period of the film, but it's kind of 19th century-ish. <laughs> and I think yeah. we're used yeah. to 
the many great English novels from that era. And it's not so much of a thought, you know, you don't have to think too much about why are we in London, right? So not only did Yorgos and then you think of this well before I imagine Searchlight was ready to make it. (laughs) And check me if I'm wrong. Did Searchlight just green light this like a normal movie? This was not like any (laughs) independent production scraping for the money. No, it was very much post- the favorite success, like we'd written, I'd written a draft before the favorite and Yorgos had told Emma the story while we were making it and then shared a draft with her. And she came on as a producer and element, the Irish producers. And then because the favorite was a hit and Emma was totally in and on board producing, it was sort of like, I remember him saying, this is the time. If ever this movie's going to get away, <laughs> this is the time. We've just had a hit. Emma's in the film. She's totally like a creative force in the film. And Searchlight kind of went with it, you know. They just kind of backed their vision of it, Yorgos and Emma's kind of power and Ed and Andrew. Yeah, that's an unusual set of circumstances, but the iron couldn't have gotten much hotter, I suppose. When you read the book, and I haven't had the benefit of reading the book, so you'll have to just tell me. I mean, there's been so much chatter about Emma being undressed and the sex scenes, which make a lot of sense in the context of the film. I don't know, given the Scottish nationalism, how much of that is part of the book? Well, I think one of the things we did with the book was the book, her story is told by the men through letters and various things. You don't ever get her experience of it and the her kind of, she's not the central character in a way, but that was sort of the central character that really appealed to Yorgos and me once I read it. And so I think that there, there was elements we invented, like, but in story terms, there was in the book, she did go and work at the brothel and, you know, there was a different take about how she approached that, that I kind of made up. So yeah, there was, there was sex in the book. She does explore that side of herself in the same way. It's like, she kind of, as this character, she was sort of like naively going into the world with this adventurous spirit, just like she's discovering food and books and politics and sex. And with this kind of like unvarnished sort of no society impact on her. So she was just sort of meeting it as she went was our idea of it. And then in, in the book, it, it sort of does hit various, you know, she goes on a journey and, but we invented some and, you know, some of the big tentpole bits kind of held us, you know. Yeah, she uh, has said that she was very involved as a producer, that she had a lot of input creatively. So did you collaborate on what would be included and what would not be included? I mean, it's I'll say just before you answer, this was a very gutsy role for someone to take on. You have to have this total commitment to playing this extremely, you know, naive character who then changes and grows as she ages and matures. But Clearly, it's asking a lot of an actress. And I don't know whether she was just in there completely or there were things where she was like, I don't know if I can do that. No, I think it was like because it had such a process to it in the sense that from the time Emma came on to the time we made the film, it was three or four years. And there was a whole process of how we would think through everything and, you know, that aspect. But every aspect of the film was sort of, um, his, you know, York is very meticulous and him and Emma are you know, to me, they're, this is their film, you know, they're the duo who kind of created Balor and, you know, the physicality. So they were, you know, I kind of like can't separate them in this film in a lot of ways, you know, even though he's the director and she's an actor because they're both producers and she was just involved in every aspect of it, you know, so down to words in rehearsal, just kind of everything. So I think a Yorgos film is very much a team and 
he and her were like the head of that team. So she was involved in everything, how the physicality of it, how everything would be approached. You know, she was always in those conversations with him the whole, the whole time, you know, and I think that's why, you know, it's such an invested, incredible performance because she loved the character and still talks about how she misses the character and felt like it it was a freedom she'd kind of hadn't had in a way or a character without shame and a character who was just adventuring in the world. You know, her spirit is in that character and, and you know, and I think because she was sort of the, I think she was the first person to read the script other than Yorgos and I. So it's sort of like she was like ground zero for the project, you know. But I read, notwithstanding the fact that she was so involved from the beginning, that when you write, you can't necessarily visualize a specific actor in a role. No, I don't. I mean, I, I know her tone and I, I have, a, I, you know, we have a sensibility that fits each other. No, because it's like, you know, I, I, I hear voices, I guess you would say. <laughs> okay. But good voices, not like go to the store and like, take everyone out voices more like just character <laughs> talking. So, so it's more like that so I, so even though I'll know who's in it when I come to write something else happens and I can hear the characters talking and and then they're sort of in my head and that's what I that's what I feel when I write it um even if I know Emma's going to do it which sometimes I do but you know they make it their own sort of no matter what you write in a way well, yes, I know that for an actor, like especially the, you know, the young male actor in the film business, there was always this thing like, you know, you want to make some independent artistic films, but you also want to franchise. And it seems like as a writer, <laughs> you also, you, you've written some very, not independent films because of Searchlight, but art house films and uh, had this enormous freedom, it seems like, on this movie, which was, I guess, purchased by the favorite's success. But yeah. then you also did and are doing Cruella. Yeah, I mean, that's that. Yeah, that was just a sort of lucky thing where Craig Gillespie, who I'd worked with, um, and Emma were looking for someone and both thought of me and, you know, we all get on. And so, yeah, I mean, they're different experiences, but all the basics are sort of the same. But I mean, obviously a big franchise movie is a different animal in lots of ways, but the stuff, what you do in your room when you're writing the script and it's just you and a yellow pad and a whiteboard, it, it's the same thing, you know, and, and, you know, a different approach and a different, there's much more to a big franchise movie and there's m many more people invested in a way. Yorgos is very much his own thing and, you know, has a very singular vision and it's it's kept very private to us for a long time. Whereas the big studio movie is a bigger thing, but everyone's everyone's invested in the same thing. They're all trying to make a good film. So, yeah, but I've been lucky to be able to do both. Tune into The Business on March 8th to hear the full interview with McNamara. He shares how his toddler inspired him to write Emma Stone's favorite line in the Academy Award-nominated screenplay. KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.